What in the world are we going to see? asked Marsh. You forget you haven't given us the least idea. You are going to see, Maris set herself to amuse them, you're going to see a rite of the worship of beauty which Ashley, Vermont, has created out of its own inner consciousness. She had succeeded in amusing at least one of them, for at this Mr. Marsh gave her the not disagreeable shock of that singular, loud laugh of his. It was in conversation like something or other in the orchestra, the cymbals, that must be it, made you jump and tingle with answering vibrations. Ashleyans in the role of worshippers of beauty, he cried, out of the soft, moist, dense darkness about them. None so blind as those who won't see, she persisted. Just because they go to it in overalls and gingham aprons, instead of peplums and sandals. What is a night-blooming cereal? asked Mr. Wells, patient of the verbose by play of his companions that never got anybody anywhere. What an old dear Mr. Wells was, thought Maurice. It was like having the sweetest old uncle bestowed on you as a pendant to dear cousin Hetty. Eus, not eel, murmured Marsh, not that I know any more than you what it is. Maurice felt suddenly wrought upon by the mildness of the spring air, the high, tuneful shrillness of the frogs' voices, the darkness, sweet and thick. She would not amuse them, no, she would really tell them, move them. She chose the deeper intonations of her voice, she selected her words with care, she played upon her own feeling, quickening it into genuine emotion, as she spoke. She would make them feel it too. It is a plant of the cactus family, as native to America, as is Ashley's peculiar sense of beauty, which you won't acknowledge. It is as ugly to look at, the plant is, all spines and thick, graceless, fleshy pads, as ugly as Ashley life looks to you. And this crabbed, ungainly plant creature is faithfully, religiously tended all the year around by the wife of a farmer, because once a year, just once, it puts forth a wonderful exotic flower of extreme beauty. When the bud begins to show its color she sends out word to all her neighbors to be ready. And we are all ready. For days, in the back of our minds as we go about our dull, routine life, there is the thought that the serious is near to bloom. Nellie and her grim husband hang over it day by day, watching it slowly prepare for its hour of glory. Sometimes when they cannot decide just the time it will open, they sit up all through a long night, hour after hour of darkness and silence, to make sure that it does not bloom unseen. When they see that it is about to open, they fling open their doors, wishing above everything else to share that beauty with their fellows. Their children are sent to announce, as you heard Tuckle say tonight, the Sirius is going to bloom. And all up and down this end of the valley, in those ugly little wooden houses that look so mean and dreary to you, everywhere people tired from their day's struggle with the earth, rise up and go their pilgrimage through the night, for what? To see something rare and beautiful. She stopped speaking. On one side of her she heard the voice of the older man say with a quiver, Well, I can understand why your neighbors love you. With entire unexpectedness Marsh answered fiercely from the other side, They don't love her. They're not capable of it. Maurice started, as though a charged electric wire had fallen across her arm. 
Why was there so often a note of anger in his voice? For a moment they advanced silently, pacing forward, side by side, unseen but not unfelt by each of the others. The road turned now and they were before the little house, every window alight, the great pine somber and high before it. The children and Tuckle were waiting at the door. They all went in together, shaking hands with the mistress of the house, neatly dressed, with a clean, white flounced apron. Nellie's garment of ceremony, thought Maurice. Nellie acknowledged, with a graceful, silent inclination of her shining blonde head, the presence of the two strangers whom Maurice presented to her. What an inscrutable fascination Nellie's silence gave to her. You never knew what strange thoughts were going on behind that proud taciturnity. She showed the guests to chairs, of which a great many, mostly already filled, stood about the center table, on which sprawled the great, spiny, unlovely plant. Maurice sat down, taking little Mark on her knees. Ellie leaned against her. Paul sat close beside old Mr. Wells. Their eyes were on the big pink but enthroned in the uncomeliness of the shapeless leaf pads. Oh, said Ellie, under her breath, it's not open yet. We're going to, see, it open, this time. She stared at it, her lips parted. Her mother looked at her, tenderly aware that the child was storing away an impression to last her life long. Dear, strangely compounded little Ellie, with her mysticism, and her greediness, and her love of beauty all jumbled together. A neighbor leaned from her chair to say to Mrs. Crittenden, warm for this time of year, ain't it? And another remarked, looking at Mark's little trousers, that material come out real good, didn't it? I made up what I got of it, into a dress for Pearl. They both spoke in low tones, but constrained or sepulchral, for they smiled and nodded as though they had meant something else and deeper than what they had said. They looked with a kindly expression for a moment at the Crittenden children, and then turned back to their gaze on the flower bud. Nellie Powers, walking with a singular lightness for so tall a woman, ushered in another group of visitors a tall, unshaven farmer, his wife, three little children clumping in on shapeless cowhide boots, and a baby, fast asleep, its round bonnet head tucked in the hollow of its mother's gingham-clad shoulder. They sat down, nodding silent greetings to the other neighbors. In turning to salute them, Maurice caught a glimpse of Mr. Marsh, fixing his brilliant scrutiny first on one, and then on another of the company. At that moment he was gazing at Nellie Powers, taking her in thought Maurice, from her beautiful hair to those preposterously high-heeled shoes she always would wear on her shapely feet. His face was impassive. When he looked neutral like that, the curious irregularity of his features came out strongly. He looked like that bust of Julius Caesar, the bumpy, big-nosed, strong-chinned one, all but that thick, closely cut, low-growing head of dark hair. She glanced at Mr. Wells and was surprised to find that he was looking neither at the people nor the plant. His arm was around his favorite Paul, but his gaze seemed turned inward, as though he were thinking of something very far away. He looked tired and old, it seemed to her, and without that quietly shining aspect of peace which she found so touching. Perhaps he was tired. Perhaps she ought not to have brought him out, this evening, 
for that long walk over rough country roads. How much older he was than his real age in years. His life had used him up. There must have been some inner maladjustment in it. There was a little stir in the company, a small inarticulate sound from Ellie. Maurice saw everyone's eyes turn to the center of the room and looked back to the plant. The big pink bud was beginning visibly to swell. A silence came into the room. No one coughed or stirred or scraped a chair leg. It was as though a sound would have wounded the flower. All those human souls bowed themselves. Almost a light shone upon them, a phrase from Dante came to Maurice's mind. La mia menta fu percasa de un fulgor. With a quick involuntary turn she looked at Marsh, fearing his mockery of her, quoting the Paradiso about Vermont farmers, as though he could know, for all those sharp eyes of his, what was going on hidden in her mind. All this came and went in an instant, for she now saw that one big, shining petal was slowly, slowly, but quite visibly uncurling at the tip. From that moment on, she saw nothing, felt nothing but the opening flower, lived only in the incredibly leisurely, masterful motion with which the grotesquely shaped protecting petals curled themselves back from the center. Their motion was so slow that the mind was lost in dreaminess in following it. Had that last one moved? No, it stood still, poised breathlessly, and yet, there before them, revealed, exultant, the starry heart of the great flower shimmered in the lamplight.